Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Do you have a habit of rejoicing with others when they have been blessed by our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have compassion and mercy on those who are seeking his blessing? Regrettably, most of us, even as Christians, oftentimes have little joy or compassion for those who have been blessed by the Lord or for those who are seeking his blessing or mercy or provision. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 9 and continue to look into the life of a man that Jesus healed from a lifetime of blindness. Well, good evening and welcome to another teaching. It's a Tuesday night here in Texas and uh, hopefully all just loving on Jesus spending time with Jesus. I know I say that every time and uh and really again that's that's just the meaning of life. I don't you know apparently you can't say it enough or at least I can't say it enough. But uh just just growing to know Jesus Christ is where all meaning in life is. Um and without Jesus there is no meaning in life at all. And without Jesus the only meaning in death will be eternal separation from God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit in hell. And so that's why we do these things. We teach the Word of God. We study the Word of God. Everything we do, we do for Jesus Christ. We do it for Jesus because he he gave his life for us. God the Son of his own will God, of his own will, became a human man. He entered the world that he created to give his life for a people he created. A people, humanity, us, who have gone bad, gone sinful. He enters the world, lives a perfect life for us, which we needed, dies a perfect life unfathomable, torturous death for us and is raised from the dead and and is given his word. God has given his word that if we accept that, if we believe that, and if we have genuinely placed our full trust and reliance and confidence in Jesus Christ alone and what he's done at the cross on our place and in our behalf, we will be forgiven of our sin We'll come into relationship with the triune God and we'll go to heaven when we die. Without Jesus, we are not forgiven of our sin. We will have no relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when our life ends, we'll be judged and we'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. And so again, that, that's why we do these things. We do these things so that number one, people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then as Christians that will spend our life growing to know him better, growing to love him more, growing to know his love for us more, um, and certainly growing to obey him more in, in every aspect of our lives. And as we do these things, we do grow in our relationship with him which as we say over and over and over and over is the meaning of life. So 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, we're going to continue in John 9. We're going to do, uh, the plan is to do verses 13 to, to 23. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll just get rolling. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your favor and your goodness on our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming a human man for us and for living a a perfect life for us and for dying just a torturous death for us. But Lord, we thank you that you're alive and risen today and we worship you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We just thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. And Father, as always, above all, we thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. John 9, verse 13. Now, remember, we're in the story of Jesus healing a man that was born blind. This has never happened in biblical recorded history. In the scriptures, there, there is never a healing of a man born blind. Uh, it's never happened before. Uh, again, I did not know that when I was studying this. Uh, the scholars that I was studying had revealed this, um, which is, is pretty... Pretty amazing. Um, and so, you know, now we're going to get into just all this commotion that happens because of it. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. 18, the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So just, I mean, just, it really is, when, when again, when you just, when we look into this and we, we make observations and, and we always say this. You know, when, when we're reading the scriptures, it's, this is not just here to be an interesting or cool story to us. Uh, Romans 15, 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us uh, or instruct us. Um, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, when we look in here, we, we want to see and make application to our own lives. Now, the circumstances are always going to be different, but the principles remain the same. So verse 13, 
they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. So the Pharisees are the religious leaders. They're they're the big time pastors and elders um, of the time. They are the uh, the quote. They're they're supposed to be the the most um, you know the most in the know men in the world about about God and the truth about God. They're supposed to be the most in the know and understanding of the scriptures. So again, um, you know, it would be like, again, the big shot pastors or elders um, or, or, or teachers in the church today. Um, and so they, they bring the man before these big teachers, because again, this is a miracle that has never been done before. And it's a miracle done by Jesus. And the vast majority of the Pharisees in the religious organization uh, were not in favor of Jesus. Um, they didn't like him. They didn't accept him. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. This is interesting because that this the reason this is pointed out that this is that it was a Sabbath is because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and all the religious leaders, they had made six hundred and I believe it's thirteen laws that they made up that they they believe they had gleaned from the scriptures in some way of things you you know and could and could not do on the Sabbath. 613 just extraneous laws. And because they had a, uh, the biggest confusion that they had was that they believed that somehow the Sabbath was made for God. And Jesus corrects them and says, this, you know, um, Man, the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, right? So, you know, they had, they were using the Sabbath, which is a holy day, but it was created as a blessing to us. And so when it says, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath, Instead of rejoicing, instead of being excited, instead of just uh, instead of just sharing joy with the man and excitement with the man, they immediately turn to their perceived doctrine, their perceived theology of the Sabbath. And I've said this before: um, this spirit. This, this, this same action is alive and well in the church today. There are many in church leadership, regrettably, that when something wonderful, something incredible, something overwhelming, when a huge blessing happens from the Lord, they have almost no joy in it, no excitement in it. They certainly question it to every bit. And, and I'll get into that in a minute. There, there should be questions we ask sometimes. But 
And then they'll immediately move to, uh, to doctrine and theology with, with little to no excitement. And inasmuch they or myself or any of us who do this are moving in the same way or in the same spirit, so to speak, that these Pharisees are. And that's something we really need to look at. It's not something we want to accept as church leaders, but it is a reality. We do have this same kind of, kind of like, you know, just, you know, we, we, there's just no joy. There's just no excitement. All there is, is just a bunch of questions to make sure that the doctrine and the theology and the reality is true. They don't want to be duped. They don't like Jesus in the first place, and we'll get into that um, and how that's alive and well today, um, that same kind of spirit. Um, and so without rejoicing, without being excited, without saying congratulations, um, without sharing joy, I mean, the man was born blind and he's healed. But you know what? Jesus did it on a Saturday. Now we celebrate the Sabbath on a Sunday. Um, you know, when when Moses was given the law of God, the Sabbath was a a uh, a Saturday. And then when Jesus was raised from the dead, um, the New Testament Church, you know, you know, gave the the day of worship to be Sunday. And so now we, we celebrate in Sunday. And, and the truth is, every day is a good day to celebrate Jesus. One day is, is not more important than any other day. Um, it's, it's, it's okay and good and valid if you had church on any day of the week. Okay, Saturday is not better than Sunday. Sunday is not better than Saturday. One day is not any greater than any other day. Jesus is Lord of every day and ought to be worshipped every day. It's good to teach the Word of God every day. Live for Christ every day. We ought to be having church in one form or another every day. Now, it's good once a week to go to the, the church house or twice a week um, and, you know, and listen to a good Bible-based message and, and uh, worship the Lord Jesus and spend time in community. That's a good thing. Um, but there is no priority of, of one day over a next. So verse 14 says, it, it's John points out that it was a Sabbath. Verse 15, therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. So you notice again, they're, they're asking questions. Um, they're certainly not sharing his joy. And the man testifies beautifully and clearly. And he's going to start getting worn out here because they keep asking questions. But he just gives a very clear testimony. And last time we talked about the necessity to testify to what Jesus has done in our lives. Um, certainly regarding our salvation, but, but how he's working in our lives moment by moment, day by day, we wanna continually testify to what Jesus has done in our lives. Um, Revelation 12, 11 says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Uh, it's always Jesus first, the blood of the lamb. It's always Jesus. We can do nothing. We can overcome nothing without Jesus. But we want to have a lifestyle of, of, of testifying to what he's done in our life and how he did it. And, th and this man does this now. He, just, he does it back in verse 11 when the neighbors ask him. In verse 11, his neighbors ask him what happened. And he says, 
the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. So he gives, he, he gives a one verse testimony explicitly and exactly explaining to how Jesus had healed him. He testified to what Jesus has done. So now the Pharisees ask him how he had received his sight. In verse 15, he says, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. <laughs> One of the things a brother of mine, Jesse, and I just really enjoys is he's not a man of a lot of words. You know, he, he, he's telling them, this is what happened. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. No need to exaggerate. No need to make the story bigger. <laughs> no. And I mean, we're all guilty of this, you know, and, and I'm certain I've done this. You know, when we when we're testifying to the work of Christ in our life, we have a tendency to exaggerate, you know, and, and it's wrong. And Lord, I'm sorry. I mean, we you know, we have it's it's something I've been cognizant of for I don't know what it is past 15 years. Uh, I've been a Christian for around 24 years. And man, the, the testimony sometimes just gets bigger. Right. And it's. uh and it's not okay. You know, you want to be like this man and testify specifically and only to what Jesus did in your life and how he did it. There's no need to embellish. There's no need to exaggerate. Um, just speak clearly what Christ has done in your life. Again, this is not just for a salvation testimony. This is not just for telling people how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Certainly we want to do that, but we ought to have countless testimonies about how Jesus has worked in our life in, in many ways, right? So the man says specifically what Jesus has done. Now look at verse 16. The Pharisees right away move in to, first of all, condemning Jesus because he did this on Saturday. And you're not supposed to bend down on the ground and make mud with your spit and put it on a man's face and heal him of his blindness. He's blind. Jesus shows an incredible act of mercy, an incredible act of love. And in verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. And I'll say it again, this mindset is so entrenched in the New Testament church today. It really is. And, and, and any of us who are in leadership, we, we know it really is. And it's something we really need to repent over. We ought to rejoice when, when a miracle is done in someone's life. We really, really ought to rejoice. Now listen, I'm not by any means saying there's not a place for us to ask legitimate questions. But let's just rejoice first. Can we, can we rejoice and say, man, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you, Jesus. I'm excited about it. But, I mean, we, we're so divided in the church today about, you know, how God works in, in healing. Um, and, 
and again, I'm not a fan of all the terms. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to say it. But there, there are all kinds of terms we use for those who believe that if that uh, that Jesus does still heal today, like he does then, and there are those who believe that that time ended, that when the what we call the canon of Scripture was finished, um, that that you know all these kind of miracles have ceased. They believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, to do healings have ceased. Doesn't say that in the Bible, um, but you know they believe that there are times and seasons in which the Lord did certain things for certain purposes. Um, uh, almost universally, everyone believes that you know God can still do this, and of course He can, right? Um, and most people believe that that sometimes the Lord does do it. There are some that believe that the Lord doesn't do this kind of thing anymore. Um, that the Lord does not heal the sight of a blind man. And so if somebody came into most of our churches and said they were blind and Jesus healed them, this would probably be the response. And uh, I mean, the response would be, it wouldn't be rejoicing. The response would be to immediately uh, disbelieve what the individual is telling us. And so we are imbalanced in this, okay? Certainly all of us should desire to see um, every aspect of God in our lives. We should desire to see the miraculous. Now, the focus should not be on that. Okay, our focus should be on growing to know Jesus Christ, growing to know the word of God. That's why we do what we do here. But we ought not deny, you know, anything that the Lord is doing or how he's doing it. Now, there are legitimate questions to ask. There are times where we should ask, you know, and, and look for certain verifications, right? Um, you know, we, we, we do want to make sure that, that, that you know, there's not a char charlatan, so to speak, that's just deceiving everybody. And, and that is important, right? But, but we do want to, to have a heart to love people and to believe people, right? Love always hopes, right? Always trusts, always believes. Um, and so what I'm saying is, you know, let's have a heart to where we can just not immediately be like these Pharisees where we just move into interrogating questions and start, you know, flipping doctrine on type, you know, on top of their head. Um, you know, let's just show a modicum of love, a modicum of joy, a little bit anyway. And then, okay, let's get into the fact and just, we do have to make sure it lines up with the word of God. Okay. If anyone says the Lord did something in their life and it's contrary to the word of God, then he didn't. That is for sure. And again, um, because there is so much deception, you know, in the body of Christ and in the church, it is necessary for us to ask, um, you know, legitimate questions. But, but we really want to have a loving and Christ-centered heart when we do it and not a pharisaical heart. And there is a tremendous part of church leadership that really does have a pharisaical heart um, and I think are unwilling to see it. And so it's just something we need to repent of. Um, and, and again, I, I believe at some level I'm guilty of this. 
This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So they, so they, 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 they say that Jesus is not from God because he showed this incredible act of mercy and love and pity. But since he did it on a Saturday, he should have left that man blind until 12.01 a.m., or whatever time the Sabbath is done being celebrated. And then he should have went and spit on the ground because, you know, that's work, right? They had determined that mixing that, (laughs) mixing the ground with anything, some type of water or spit was work. It's ridiculous, right? It's not only ridiculous, it's hard-hearted. It's totally unloving. And it is something we really do want to search our hearts for. Father, I ask you to forgive us as Christian leaders when we behave in this way. Father, I do ask you for us to help us to, yes, um, be wise as serpents. But Lord, we're just, we're not as innocent as doves. And Father, Father, I'm sorry. I ask you to cleanse us of this unrighteousness, Father. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see. Convict us, Lord, where we will just just have mercy and have love and have compassion. And then at the same time, we're appropriate to ask, you know, uh, legitimate questions to to make sure that, that Jesus is indeed being glorified and that the truth is being being put forth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? Okay. So some of the Pharisees just immediately say he's not from God. They don't care that the man was healed. Um, But others say, and they rightly say, now what does this mean? How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? Well, in a, in a very real way, he can't. Okay, As a matter of fact, you and I can't do anything. It's Jesus that does it all. We are servants of Christ. Okay, We walk with Christ. And it's our job to become like Jesus Christ. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that we're called to become like little Christ, right? With a small c. We're not God. We're not gods. Um. But we want to grow to be more like Jesus in every manner, in every way. But as Jesus said in, in John 15, there's, we can do nothing without him. With him, we can do all things. Without him, we can do nothing. Um, but this, this statement, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And it says, so they were divided. Jesus Christ is sinless. There seems to be some confusion about this in certain denominations. Um. The only sinless being in history is Jesus Christ. Every other human being was sinful. Every other human being. Adam and Eve were created. When they were created, they had no sin. And then when they they ate of the tree that they were forbidden to eat, they became sinful. They took on a sinful nature. They passed that sinful nature into into all of us in humanity, into all their posterity, and everyone is sinful, okay? Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, does not receive the sinful nature 
that he would have received from a human father in Joseph, Jesus enters the world without a sinful nature and goes on to live a sinless life. Undoubtedly. Okay. Now, first of all, he's God. God can have no unity with sin. He is holy. That's why we need a savior. God cannot overlook sin because he's holy. Okay. That's why Jesus had to die in our place. There had to be justice and that justice for sin was put on Christ when he was tortured and nailed to the cross. So when they asked if this man was just like every one of us, if, if this man was just a regular person, and remember Jesus is the God man, he could not do such things. Sometimes we get confused, okay? Um, certainly we wanna be like Christ, Certainly, we want to do all that Jesus has us to do, and we'd love to do even the miraculous that Jesus did, but we're not Jesus, okay? Not, not in one one millionth, okay? We are, we are the children of our Father. The Spirit of Jesus lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He's also called the Spirit of Jesus. He continually testifies to Jesus, convicts us, reminds us of Jesus, Um. And so we are spiritually alive, but we are not God, okay? Again, no prophet, no priest, no king, no believer, no nothing has ever done this in biblical history. Never. From Genesis up to John 9 do we find the healing of a man or woman born blind. Jesus heals the man, and, and, and do you see how Jesus divides people? It says so they were divided. Jesus divides families sometimes, right? He divides friends. Um, and hear me when I say this. He, he, he intends to do that. If your family's going one way and Jesus is going the other you need to go the way Jesus is going. If your friends are going one way, away from Jesus, away from the word of God, and Jesus is going the other, you always need to go to Jesus. We're going to see the man's parents here are going to, going to make a horrible mistake because they're not going to go the way of Jesus. Going the way of Jesus is always going to be going the way of the truth going the way of the scriptures. And we all make mistakes, we all fail in this, and, and we wanna repent when we do. Verse 17, finally they turned again to the blind man. So they have this discussion among themselves, and they do this incredible thing. This is a remarkable thing what they do. Never, ever would these people, these people went to the greatest schools available to learn about God, to learn the Bible, the scriptures. And they actually do this incredible thing. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. They actually asked the opinion of this man who was a beggar and who was blind just a day or so ago or whatever this was. And again, these were not men that would have ever asked the opinion of, of any man, 
let alone a common man, let alone a beggar. And so this is such an astounding thing that happens. They actually just forget themselves and they ask the man. And again, this is something we have too. As ministers, we, we ought to ask the hearts and, and the beliefs of, of other believers and Christians. Now, it's important, again, we're not going to enable anybody, okay? But when we ask brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm talking now in, to Christian leadership, um, you know, we, we ought to ask the question, you know, what has Christ done in your life? What is this? What do you believe about this? And, and as long as what they say lines up with the word of God, right? Um, and again, if it's a disputable matter, then, you know, we don't argue about it, right? You've heard we, we agree on the essentials. We have to agree on the essentials biblically. And on the non-essentials, if we can't come to agreement, we have to agree to disagree. But we ought to be able to ask people, you know, where are you? What do you believe? What has Jesus done? Um, and again, that's just a sign that we have some kind of, of love and compassion and, and humility. Um, we ought not be the big pastors, the big leaders, the big elders that, that are just above asking the flock and the people um, you know, what their heart is and where they are on, on a situation. Um, now, these Pharisees would never do this, but because the miracle is so amazing, they actually do ask the man. And it says the man replied, he is a prophet. So he didn't know who Jesus was, but now his opinion of Jesus is starting to grow a little bit. And, you know, he, he calls him a prophet. Okay. Um, verse 18 the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Okay, so they asked the man, but it don't matter what he said. They don't believe him anyway. Um, and, and again, as people, particularly as leaders in the church, we do want to believe people. Now, again, if someone tells you something or if you tell a minister something that's not in line with the scriptures, he ought not believe you. Okay. Um, you know, if, if somebody goes and tells a minister that, you know, you know, my friend was an atheist and he died and he's, he said he went to heaven and he told me that in a dream, not true. Okay. It cannot be against the word of God. Okay. So again, we ought to have a heart to, 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 to receive people and hear them. But at the same time, it does have to line up with the scriptures. But we ought not just immediately give it to unbelief. They actually asked the man, you know, what, what his, his, his opinion of Jesus was. The man says he's a prophet. The Jews still, not, still did not believe he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Verse 19, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? So, again, it's, it's not a, a completely, because this is such an astounding thing, it's fine to look for verification. But again, they do not want to believe it. They don't believe in Jesus. The vast majority of them don't like Jesus, okay? They're even believing that, that Jesus had, uh, you know, had broken the Sabbath. And I, and I was when studying for this. Some of the scholars I study made a really good point that they only had two options. They could either believe 
that Jesus was right and that their Sabbath traditions were wrong or that Jesus is wrong and not of God and their Sabbath traditions are right. And the vast majority of them rejected Jesus. And I thought that was an amazing observation. And again, that's something that, that again, is still alive in us today. You know, we, 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 we have a tendency to believe our own opinions above that of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And it's, it's a horrible thing. It's something that, that, that just requires the most earnest repentance that when we have a tendency to believe the culture, believe the world, um, believe the opinions of people above the word of God and the son of God, it's, uh, it's sinful and it's destructive. Um, and it's really the cause of almost all problems in the world today, as candid as I can be. Um, we believe the scriptures, the Bible, above all things. It's the word of God. We ought not believe the word of man above the word of God in anything. Our entire lives are about the son of God and the word of God. Verse 20, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. So his parents make the wrong decision. Now, there's generally like this natural, uh, <laughs> you know, parents generally to a fault will defend their children, right? Um, <laughs> by the grace of God, my children would say their mother and I don't do this. We don't defend them to a fault. We try to be realistic. Um, and we just try to let the truth speak for itself. And that's what we ought to do as parents. We ought not defend our children absurdly to a fault. Um, we ought not take their side if their side is not the truth in Jesus Christ in anything. Um, we love them. We support them. But, you know, we don't support poor decision making. We don't support unbiblical thinking. Um, and again, we want we want to always be on the side of the truth, even when it is our children. But there is a natural desire to defend your children. And I'll say this. When you know your children are, 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 are right and correct, well, of course, you ought to defend them. You ought, you ought to defend anyone who's in that position, right? You ought to be on the side of the truth and, and speak up for it. But the parents distanced themselves from their child. They certainly should have said, you know what? He can see, but in this amazing deal, this, th these, these Pharisees had these people in such fear that they'd be kicked out of church, right? That, that, that they actually, you don't see them rejoicing. Shouldn't the parents be the most exciting people in the world? Why aren't the parents saying, when they say, is this your son, the Pharisees ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? 
How is it now they can see? They should say, this is our son. He was born blind, but now he sees. And it was the man, Jesus. And, and where is he? Is Jesus around here? Because I don't want to be talking to you people. Where's Jesus? That's what the parents should have said. But the parents were concerned more about religion than they were Jesus Christ. No concern for Jesus at all. Jesus had just given their son sight. And they were being more worried to kicked out, getting kicked out of the synagogue, I'll tell you. Now, again, we do want to honor our religious leaders, our, our, our take scratch that word religious. We do want to honor our, our, our Christian religious leaders, our pastors, our elders, our deacons, um, But in no way do you ever honor any Christian leader, certainly myself, anyone who hears this, over Jesus Christ. And as Christian leaders, obviously it's our job to point everyone to Jesus in every manner and in every way and in everything at all times, right? John the Baptist said, I must become less he must become more. He must become more. I must become less. And certainly that's a word for all of us as, as pastors and teachers and, and elders and deacons and leaders. But the parents are just, they just, they just want to be in the synagogue and they, they don't want to be put on probation. They don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. And so they distance themselves from their son. Instead of saying, this is my son. And, and again, where, where are we in this today? When Jesus does a work in our lives or in the lives of others, again, and it's just, I'm not just talking about any miracle here, of course, but, you know, just there are, there, the greatest miracle is when you get saved, when you become spiritually alive, when your sins are forgiven, when, 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 uh, when an unbeliever genuinely trusts Jesus Christ and clings to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul, we rejoice when someone is blessed in Jesus Christ, when a new season comes, when deliverance comes, when healing comes, and even if it, when it comes through the doctors and the medicine and the hospitals, that's a good thing. We ought to rejoice in Jesus and thank him. But his parents, I mean, they look at, they say, ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. We're not going to speak for, for him. When Jesus does a work in someone's life, we, we ought to speak up for that and speak up for Jesus. Father, I ask you to forgive us when, when we fall to peer pressure and when we're not willing to speak up for the work of Christ in our life or in the life of others. I ask you to help us to... Uh, to really devote ourselves to you, Jesus, and to have a greater heart for you than we do for religion. Forgive us where we, where we fall short in this, Lord, and Holy Spirit, help us. Mm. You see, the, the parents have a greater desire for the, the religious organization. In our, in our culture, it would, be, it would be when you have a greater desire for church than you do for Jesus. When you have a greater desire for a a well-known pastor or speaker in their church than you do for Christ. Well, our church does it like this. Uh, and like I've said, in principle, 
this is alive and well today. And it's just something that, uh, that's not of God. It's sin. His parents are concerned with having their place in the synagogue, in the church, and making sure that's, uh, that's solidified. Now, listen, we, we need to be in a good Bible-based church. That's a good thing, okay? But we ought not lose sight that it's all about Jesus, and it's always going to be about Jesus. Hmm. And this man is just left for himself. And, and we're going to find out next time that he's going to continue to testify about Jesus and insist on Jesus. He's going to get kicked out. His parents didn't get kicked out. But he's going to get kicked out for testifying to Jesus and what Jesus has done. And, and that needs to be our heart today. That we're going to stand with Jesus, come hell or high water, so to speak. And Father, we thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us and convict us that we will stand with Jesus in the good times and in the difficult times. Lord Jesus, we love you and we worship you and we thank you. We, we thank you again for the miracle you did in this man's life. And Lord, we ask you to heal us of blindness today of spiritual blindness and that we would that we would testify to that healing even as this man testified to his healing father we love you and we bless you and we thank you seal the message to our heart we pray in jesus name amen and amen